السلام علیکم ورحمۃ اللہ وبرکاتہ محمد الکریم اما بعد فاعوذ باللہ من الشیطان الرجیم بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم ربش رحلی صدری ویسر لی امری وحل العقتم من لسانی یقه قولی ربنا زدنا علما We'll begin from hadith number 104. We were studying the lessons from this hadith. What's the gist of the hadith? That when Amr ibn Sa'id was sending troops to Makkah in order to fight against Abdullah ibn Zubayr, one of the companions, Abu Shuraih, he advised him not to do so. But how did he advise him? By narrating a hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, which he remembered very clearly. And he assured him that he remembered very clearly, he saw, he heard with his own eyes, with his own ears, so there was no doubt about that hadith. So he narrated to him with full confidence. But what was the response of Umar ibn Sa'id? That he knew better than Abu Shireh. He said that I know better than you, and I know that Makkah does not give refuge to criminals, so if there are criminals sitting over there, then we are going to go and fight against them. If any one of you are interested in knowing about why this fitna took place, And what happened, there is a book in English, it's called The History of Islam. It's in three volumes, it's by Darussalam. And uh, it's one of the most, you can say, accurate as well as neutral books that you can find. Especially in the English language. Because there are many other you know, books out there, but many of them are biased. So this is a very neutral book and I recommend that if you're interested, go and read this chapter so that you are familiar with what happened exactly. So we see that at this time of fitna, uh, the companions, they stood up, some of them. And they try to stop people from creating more fitna, from harming one another, from fighting against one another. And how did they stop one another? By advising them through the words of the Prophet ﷺ. Not by their own speeches, but what did they convey? The hadith of the Prophet ﷺ. There are many lessons that we learned this hadith. I mentioned some of them to you. And of them is that in this hadith we learned that the Prophet ﷺ said that Makkah is a place that is sacred and it has been made sacred by who? By Allah Himself and not by the people. So if Allah has made it sacred, then people cannot remove its sanctity. And when the haram is sacred, then that means that the people are safe there, their properties are safe there, and also the animals as well as the plants, the trees of haram are also safe. Which means that animals cannot be hunted. Similarly, we see that in the haram, the trees cannot be cut off. But the Companions requested that they should be allowed to use which tree? To use the shrub, idkhir. Idkhir is a kind of a shrub, the grass of which the people would use in order to bury their dead and also to use in their houses. If you remember, when Musa ibn Umayr, when he passed away, they could not find a shroud that completely covered him. So what did they use to cover his feet? Idkhir, right? They used it to cover his feet in the grave. And the Arabs also used the idkhir grass. They used to mix it up with mud and they would use it to build their houses. If any one of you have seen clay houses made of mud, right? so many times they mix dry grass or things like that with it. And we see that this idghir plant is also very fragrant. So it would also make the houses very fragrant. So the Sahaba asked the Prophet ﷺ to make that exception, and that exception was made for them. Anyway, we learn from this that no tree, no shrub, no plant of Makkah can be cut. Which plant? The plant that grows itself, the tree that grows itself even if it may be harmful. So for example, if it is in the way of the people, even then it is not allowed to cut it off. Why? Because this is not like a harmful animal. A harmful animal, it can be killed in the haram. Why? Because it can come and attack you. 
You cannot avoid it. You can try to avoid it, but it will come after you. It will come and attack you. But harmful plant, can you avoid it? Of course you can. If it's in your way, you can always go through some other way. So this is why the scholars have prohibited that the plants that grow themselves in Makkah, in the Haram, by themselves, even though they may be harmful, it is not permissible to cut them off. There is one exception though. What is that exception? The plants that belong to someone. Meaning it is somebody's property. It is somebody's property. This is just like if somebody catches an animal outside of the Haram, and they bring it into the haram, can they slaughter it? Yes, they can. They did not hunt it in the haram, they hunted it outside. They caught it, and they brought it into the haram, and they slaughtered it. It's perfectly fine. This is just like the sacrificial animals. Aren't they brought to the haram and slaughtered over there? Yes, they are. So similarly, if a person has hunted an animal outside of the haram, brings it into there and slaughters it, perfectly fine. Why? Because it is his property. It's not an animal that was free in the haram, that belonged to no one. So he could hunt it. No, it was his own property. So similarly, if a person plants a tree and then he cuts it, it's okay. Why? Because it is his own property. But if there is a tree that does not belong to him, there's a shrub, there's anything that does not belong to him, can he go and cut it off? No, he cannot. So with regards to the plants, is it clear? There's two types. One that grows itself and the other that is somebody's property. One that grows itself, can you cut it? No. One that is somebody's property, can they cut it? Yes, they can. Then we also learn in this hadith that if a tree is safe in the haram, then what about a human being? Think about it. If a tree cannot be harmed, cannot be cut, then how can we ever harm other people in the haram? It's not allowed. Allah says in the Quran, أَوَلَمْ يَرَوْ أَنَّا جَعَلْنَا حَرَمًا آمِنًا وَيُتَخَطَّفُ النَّاسُ مِنْ حَوْلِهِمْ People are harmed where? Outside of the haram. People are not supposed to be harmed inside the haram. Then we also learn in this hadith that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allowed for His messenger to fight in the haram. Did the Prophet ﷺ fight in the haram when he came? How? There were some people who were killed in the haram as well. There were approximately 17 individuals that were killed. Why? Because they were great criminals. And if they were not killed, then what would happen? then shirk would remain. It would not be completely abolished. Because those mushrikeen, they were in Makkah. They weren't coming out. Those great enemies, they were in Makkah. If they came out, yes, they would be killed. But if they stayed in Makkah, could they be harmed? Technically, no, they couldn't be. Especially some of them, they went and they held on to the Kaaba. Why? So that nobody would touch them, nobody would harm them. But they were great criminals. They could not be spared. So Allah made that exception for the Prophet ﷺ. Why? So that Islam would completely conquer. So that that place would be completely conquered and no trace of shirk would remain in there. Because even if the slightest trace of shirk would remain, then what would happen? It would grow eventually and overpower. And it was very clear that it had to be eliminated. This is why the Prophet ﷺ was sent to purify that land. Then we also learn that this exception was made for the Prophet ﷺ only by who? By Allah. So what does it show? That Allah can make exceptions from His rules, from His commands, whenever He wants, for whosoever He wants. Why? Because the deen, this religion, is whose? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So when the amr belongs to Allah, He can also change it. He can also make exceptions. And we are no ones to make exceptions for anybody. This is totally the right of who? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is just like sajda is the right of who only? 
Allah. But Allah also commanded the angels that they do sajda to Adam a.s. Similarly, killing others is not permissible. But Allah ordered Ibrahim a.s. to slaughter his own son. Allah can make exceptions whenever He wants in whatever command, but it is only His decision. Only He has the right to do that. Then we also learned that the Prophet ﷺ, when he was allowed to do qital in Makkah, it was not out of disrespect for the haram. No. What was the purpose? The purpose was tathheer. It was to purify, to clean, to cleanse the haram. And it was also out of ta'zim for haram, that no shirk should remain over there. We learned that on the day of conquest, Sa'd ibn Ubadah he said that al-yawmu yawmul malhamah al-yawmu tustahallul ka'bah. That today Kaaba will be made halal. Meaning, people can fight one another over there. So when the Prophet ﷺ found out that this is what the people are thinking, that they're saying it's okay to fight over there, he said, كَذَبَ This is a false statement. بَلِ الْيَوْمُ يَوْمُ تُعَظَّمُ فِيهِ This is the day when Kaaba will be made عظيم, will be honored, will be glorified. This is the day when its عظمة will be shown. That anyone who commits shirk over there will be killed. So this shows to us that the purpose of that exception was not just to fight, it was to purify, to cleanse the karba. Then we also see that this permission, this exception that was made, it was not general, but rather it was only for, from the hadith we learned, sa'ah, for a part of the day, sa'ah min al-nahar. And which time was this? Which part of the day was it? It was the time when the Prophet ﷺ entered Makkah. It was a time when he entered Makkah. Until Shirk was completely abolished and that was towards the end of the day. So it was only part of the day. And when he entered Makkah, we learned that it was the time of Tulur al-Shams all the way until Salatul Asr. Tulur al-Shams, what is Tulur? Rising of the sun until until Salatul Asr. So this was Sa'a min al-Nahal. And this is why we see that when the Prophet ﷺ entered Makkah, what did he say? That anybody who goes into his house, or he goes to the house of Abu Sufyan, or he goes to the Haram, he is safe. And if anyone comes out confronting the Muslims, then what will happen? He will be killed. It was only that time that he was allowed to fight the people when he entered and eventually the entire place was conquered. Then we also learn from this hadith that it is very dangerous to say hmm? Amr ibn Sa'id said, I know better than you. Did he know better than? Did he know more than Abu Shireh? Not at all. Abu Shireh was a companion. And who was Umar ibn Sa'id? He was not a companion at all. In fact, he was a fasiq. He was a sinful person, you know, fighting against the Muslims, harming the companions of the Prophet ﷺ. But yet, he was so proud of the little that he knew, that he said, I know better than you. And we learned that he said this, I know better than you. Why? Because he was saying that there is an exception to fighting in Makkah. And what is that exception? According to him, that if there is a criminal in Makkah, then we will go and fight him. Then we will go and fight him. And he was basically saying something against a hukum shari. Okay, He was saying something that was in contrast, that contradicted a nas, a text of the hadith, of the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. The text was very clear that Allah has not made the haram halal for anyone. Just as it was haram before the conquest, it is haram after the conquest. No one can fight therein. But still, he was establishing his opinion against a nas of the hadith. And this was whose way? This was the way of shaitan, of iblis, when Allah gave that clear instruction, prostrate to Adam. And he 
made his own opinion. And what was that? That I am better than him. Because I am better than him, this is why I'm not going to prostrate to him. So he resembled Iblis in the way he formulated his own opinion against a clear nas, against a clear text. So what was the opinion, what was the belief of Amr ibn Sa'id that if there is a criminal in Makkah, then we are going to harm him. Just as we are going to fight and punish a criminal outside of Makkah, we are also going to fight and punish a criminal inside of Makkah. But is this true? It's not true. Because we learn, Ibrahim salam he made dua, وَإِذْ قَالَ إِبْرَاهِيمُ رَبِّ جَعَلْ هَذَا بَلَدًا آمِنًا He made dua that, O oh Allah, make the city an amin city, a safe and secure place where its people are safe, including criminals as well as innocent people. And this is why we see that even at the time of Jahiliyyah, if a man saw the qatil of his own father in the haram, he would not harm him. Even the Jahili Arabs had so much respect for the haram, that if they saw the murderer of their own father, would they harm him? They would not harm the murderer. They would leave him. And only if they saw him outside of the haram, then they would not spare him. Hmm? So even the Jahili Arabs had so much respect. Now the question is, Will all the criminals not go to Makkah and seek refuge there? You know, when people commit a crime, they go on the run, they, you know, they escape, they go to some other country. So everybody would run to Makkah and seek refuge over there and, you know, protect themselves so that nobody can harm them. So then, in a way, we would be giving refuge to who? To criminals. And we know that we're not allowed to give refuge to them. We are supposed to hold them accountable. So what should be done in this case? The scholars they have said is that if there is a criminal in the haram, okay, who has come in the haram, and it's known that he is a criminal, then there should be complete and total boycott against him. Nobody should talk to him. Nobody should buy and sell to him. Nobody should have any dealings with him. So that eventually what's going to happen? In order to save his life, he's going to have to leave. So make his life so difficult in haram that he's forced to leave. And when he will leave, he will be caught and held accountable. Because in Makkah, nobody will be killed. It's not permissible at all. But don't think haram is only the Masjidul Haram. Okay, there is Masjidul Haram, there is the city of Makkah, and there is the area of Haram. Okay, there is the area of Haram. The boundaries that have been set, which show that beginning from here, the Haram begins. If you've ever gone to Makkah, you may have seen that as you're going, there is a particular checkpoint where it says that no non-Muslims are allowed beyond this point. So that is where the haram begins. Let's continue. Hadith number 105. حدثنا عبد الله بن عبد الوهاب قال حدثنا حماد عن أيوب عن محمد عن ابن أبي بكرة عن أبي بكرة that Abu Bakr he said ذكر النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم that the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم was mentioned that قال he said when did he say this? At Hajjatul Wada' that fa'inna so indeed dima'akum your blood wa amwalakum and your properties. So your lives and your properties. Qala Muhammadun, Muhammad said, wa ahsibuhu, and I think that he, qala he said, wa a'radakum. I think that he also said, wa a'radakum. Who is Muhammad? This is not Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. This is one of the narrators. So he said that I think, the Sahabi, that I think that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, wa a'radakum. And also your honor. So your lives, your properties, and your honor. Alaykum haramun. Upon you are haram, sacred. Meaning you're not allowed to violate them. You're not allowed to harm them. Just as kahurmati, 
like the sacredness, يومكم of your day, هذا this, which day was this? The day of Hajj. في شهركم هذا, in this month of yours. Which month was it? The month of Hajj, Dhul Hijjah. Allah, unquestionably, ليبلغ, he should convey, who, a shahid, the witness, منكم of you, الغائب, the one who is absent. So whoever is here today, whoever is witnessing this, should convey to who? Those who are absent. وَكَانَ Muhammad and Muhammad, the narrator, يَقُولُ he used to say, صَدَقَ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمُ كَانَ ذَلِكَ The Prophet ﷺ was indeed truthful when he said this, that أَلَا هَلْ بَلَّغْتُ Have I not conveyed? مرتين, twice. So when he said this, have I not conveyed? He was indeed very truthful because he definitely conveyed. So this part of hadith we have also learned earlier. In this hadith we see that the Prophet ﷺ emphasized that those who are present, those who hear, those who see, those who learn, should convey to who? Those who do not. And this is the chapter heading of this particular bab that Imam Bukhari is conveying. And the thing is that when the Prophet ﷺ conveyed, this is why he said, Allah al-Ballaght, when he conveyed completely and fully, then should we not convey? The Prophet ﷺ was obligated to pass on the message, Ballig. And he did convey. And whenever a person learns knowledge, when a person learns something, then it is as though he has taken an ahd from Allah that he will convey. So he should convey. He should also fulfill his responsibility. Bab ismi, the sin of man kathaba ala nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The sin of the one who kathaba, he lied against who? Ala nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The sin of the person who narrates something while ascribing it to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and it is not true. Meaning, he says the Prophet ﷺ said that, or he said that he did that, whereas in fact he never said that, he never did that, he never approved of that. So what is the fate of such a person? Is he committing a sin? Yes, indeed, he is committing a huge sin. Lying against Allah or his messenger is not like lying against any other person. Lying against Allah and his messenger is not like lying against any other individual. Why? Because when a person ascribes a lie to Allah or his messenger, then that lie will be accepted as what? As a truthful statement, as a fact. And on it will be based a hukum shari, a law of this religion. Whereas it's completely false. Or, for example, if a person ascribes a lie to Allah or his messenger and it is something that is about Allah, so people would have a wrong perception of who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is, of his awsaf, of his attributes. So you understand? Lying against Allah or His Messenger is not something small. It's a major crime. Because it is a means of corrupting people's aqidah. Imagine if a person says something false about Allah, he invented it himself, ascribed it to the Prophet ﷺ, then what belief will people have about Allah? A wrong belief. Isn't it so? A false belief. So it's a means of corrupting people's beliefs. It's a means of leading people astray. And it's a huge crime against Allah and His Messenger. Think about it. If somebody says a statement by themselves and they say that you said it, you said it, isn't this injustice against you? And imagine if based on that statement that has been ascribed to you, some action is taken. Some action is taken. The damage is caused. Harm is done. So isn't this injustice against you? Your reputation is going bad. You are being used so that people can fulfill their own desires, so that people can get their own way. So it's a huge crime against Allah and His Messenger to lie against them. And we see that the greatest lie 
is that lie which is against Allah. Which is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Woman azlamu mimman iftara ala Allahi kadiban. Who is more unjust than the one who invents a lie against Allah? He says that Allah has said something, whereas Allah never said something. That. He says that Allah has commanded that, whereas Allah never commanded that. He says that Allah forbade that, whereas Allah did not forbid that. And this is the reason why we are not allowed to say by our own selves, this is halal, this is haram. We can't say that. Because this is the right of Allah alone. And if a person starts inventing such things, and he preaches it as religion, then he's leading other people astray. And we see that lying against the Messenger wasallam is also a huge crime. This is the second in degree. The worst is lying against Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The second is lying against the Prophet wasallam, And this is also very evil. This is also extremely dangerous. And we see that if a person lies against the Prophet wasallam in the matter of religion, in the matter of religion, then this is like lying against Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Why? Because if a person lies against the Prophet ﷺ in the matters of religion, then he's saying that this is part of the religion, whereas it's not part of the religion. And the religion is whose? Allah. Who revealed it? Allah. Who decided it? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So lying against the Prophet ﷺ, against Allah in the matters of religion, is the same. Then we see that lying against others besides Allah and His Messenger is also very evil. A person says, so-and-so said this, so-and-so did that, whereas they never said that, they never did that. This is also very evil. But it is of degrees, depending on who is being lied against. If a person lies against a scholar of Islam, saying that so-and-so scholar said this, whereas he never said this, this is not equal to lying against an ordinary person. Because what a scholar says is considered a part of the religion. And what an ordinary person says is not considered a part of the religion. So lying against people is also very evil, but it is of various degrees depending on who is being lied against. And when a person lies against a scholar of deen, that is also a very huge crime. He said that so-and-so scholar promotes this, so-and-so scholar said this, so-and-so scholar allowed this, whereas he never allowed this. Then in a way he's saying that this is part of the religion, and it is not a part of the religion. So this is also means of misleading people. And ascribing a lie to ordinary people is also something that is not acceptable. Lying against ordinary people is also something that is not acceptable. In fact, this is a means of earning the wrath of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You know, people say this to ruin other people's reputation. He said this, he did that, whereas he never said or did that. Just to ruin their reputation. Just to make them fall in the eyes of other people. Just to humiliate them or just to take revenge against them. This is also a huge crime or just to harm them. We learn from hadith the Prophet ﷺ said that مَنْ حَلَفَ عَلَى يَمِينٍ وَهُوَ فِيهَا فَاجِرٍ لِيَقْطَعَ بِهَا مَالِمْ لِئِمْ مُسْلِمْ لَقِيَ اللَّهُ وَهُوَ عَلَيْهِ غَضْبَانٍ He will meet Allah while Allah is angry with him. So when a person lies against ordinary people as well, this is what? A means of earning the wrath of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this is a huge crime. Now with regards to lying against the Prophet ﷺ, Bukhari mentions many ahadith over here, several ahadith over here to prove that this is a huge crime. A person cannot invent ahadith, invent statements and actions and say, the Prophet said that or he did that, whereas he never said or did that. This is a huge crime. And what's the punishment for this crime? What's the end result of such a criminal? That his home will be hellfire. He will enter hellfire and he will live in there. 
So it's a major sin. It's not an ordinary crime. It's a major sin. First of all, the hadith, حدثنا علي بن الجعد قال أخبرنا شعبة قال أخبرني منصور قال he said, سمعت ربعية ابن حراش يقول, he said, سمعت عليا I heard Ali رضي الله عنه يقول, he said, that قال النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم said لا تكذبوا علي do not lie against me do not lie against me, meaning do not say a statement by your own accord and say that I said it or I did it. Why? فَإِنَّهُ Because indeed he, مَنْ كَذَبَ Whoever lied عَلَيَّ against me, فَلْيَلْجِ النَّارِ Then he will enter the hellfire. يَلْجِ وُلُوج حَتَّى يَلِجَ الْجَمَلُ فِي سَمِّ الْخِيَاطِ To enter. So such a person will enter the hellfire. This hadith, that whoever lies against me, shall be in the hellfire. This hadith is a mutawatir hadith. What is a mutawatir hadith? A hadith that has been narrated numerous times. There are numerous narrations. And this hadith is mutawatir both in lafz and in ma'na. In wording and also in meaning. Meaning the exact same words have been narrated numerous times. And that meaning which these words convey, not in the exact same words but in different words, has also been narrated many, many times. So it is mutawatir in what? In lafz and also in ma'na. It is said that approximately 70 companions have narrated a hadith like this, either similar in wording or in meaning. So what does this show? That there is absolutely no doubt about this fact, that a person who lies against the Prophet ﷺ, then his fate is hellfire. That is his end. That is his punishment. The question is, what does it mean by kadaba alayya? What does it mean by lying against the Prophet ﷺ? Saying that the Prophet ﷺ said something, whereas he did not say it. Or saying that he did something, whereas he did not do it. Or saying that he approved of something, whereas he did not approve it. So it is of three types. Qawli, fi'li, and iqrari. Qawli, he said... Fairly, he did iqrari, that he approved. And all three of them are great crimes. Saying that he said, whereas he did not say, he did, whereas he did not do, he approved, he did not approve. All these three are huge crimes. And what's the fate of such a person? فَلْيَلْجِنَّارِ Then he will enter the hellfire. يَدْخُلُ He will enter the hellfire. Will he enter himself? What does he mean by this? that he will be commanded to enter there. He will definitely go there. That will be his home. Next hadith. حدثنا أبو الوليد قال حدثنا شعبة عن جامع ابن شداد عن عامر ابن عبد الله ابن الزبير عن أبيه So عامر ابن عبد الله ابن زبير Who? عامر He narrated from who? عن أبيه From his father. So who was the father of عامر? Abdullah ibn Zubair. So Abdullah ibn Zubair, qala, he said, qultu liz Zubair. I said to Zubair. So Abdullah ibn Zubair asked who? His father Zubair. So you understand what's happening? Amr narrated from his father, who narrated from his father. So he said that I said to my father, inni indeed I la asma'uka, I do not hear you, tuhaddisu, that you narrate, an from Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, 
كما جست از يحدثو هي ناريتس فلان وفلان سو اند سو اي دو نوت سي يو اي دو نوت هير يو ناريتينغ احاديث جست از ذير سو ماني اذر كومبانيونز هو ناريت سو ماني احاديث وات از هي امبلاينغ واي دونت يو نو ماتش وير وير يو واي دونت يو سبند ماتش تايم وذ ذا بروفيت صلى الله عليه وسلم واي دونت يو ليرن ماتش فروم هيم بيكوز يو دونت ناريت لايك ذا اذر كومبانيونز ناريت قال هي سيد اما inni indeed i ama that indeed i was inshallah i will tell you the exact meaning of this word later so ama inni indeed i lam ufariqu i never separated from him i never ever separated from him walakin but sami'tuhu i heard him yaqulu he was saying i heard the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam saying man kadhaba alayya whoever lies against me falyatabawwa then he should accommodate he should make bawaun Bawa'a. We have done these words in the Quran. Hmm? To settle. To dwell. To settle. So, فَلْيَتَبَوَّ Then he should make his settlement. مَقْعَدَهُ His place of قُعُود Meaning his place of stay. مِنَ النَّارِ In the hellfire. So whoever lies against me should make his seat where? In the hellfire. He should reserve his spot in the hellfire because that is where he is going. So, Because I heard this statement from the Prophet ﷺ, this is why I don't narrate much. Why? Wasn't it an obligation on those who heard, on those who saw, to convey what they heard and saw? Yes. So why didn't Zubayr anhu narrate? Because he was being very careful. He did not want to say anything wrong. But does it mean that even if you know, you should never have confidence? No. This is perhaps... Because he did not remember everything accurately and he wanted to be on the safe side. And you can imagine, Zubayr after all he was a human being and by the time the Tabi'een grew up and their later generations grew up, they must have been older by then. You understand? And as a person grows older, then what happens? His memory begins to fade, isn't it? You begin to forget what you remembered very clearly before. So he did not want to say something unless and until he was 100% sure about it. So because he was not 100% sure about everything, this is why he did not go on narrating everything. So in order to be on the safe side, this is what he did. Next hadith, حَدَّثَنَا أَبُو مَعْمَرٍ قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا عَبْدُ الْوَارِثِ عَنْ عَبْدُ الْعَزِيزِ قَالَ أَنَسٌ أَنَسْ رَضِي لَهُ عَنْهُ سَدْ إِنَّهُ إِنْدِيدْ إِرْ لَيَمْنَعُنِي Surely it prevents me. أَنْ أُحَدِّثَكُمْ That I narrate to you. حَدِيثًا What prevents me from narrating many a hadith is that anna nabiya sallallahu alayhi wa sallam aqal that indeed the prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said man ta'ammada alayya kadiban whoever ta'ammada deliberately he intentionally did this what alayya kadiban he lied against me falyatabawwa maq'adahu min an-nar then he should take his seat in the hellfire So a person should be very, very careful when saying something of the Prophet ﷺ. But notice over here in this hadith, what's different? Ta'ammada. Ta'ammada. What is ta'ammada? When a person intentionally, deliberately says or does something. So this person knows that what he is saying is false, but still he says it. He's not saying it out of ignorance. You understand? When a person is unaware, is ignorant, or he does it out of forgetfulness, okay, he thinks that it was 
right, but it was not actually right, then he, he will not be held accountable. Because remember we learned that إِنَّمَا الْأَعْمَالُ The consequence of the actions is based on what? The intentions. So if a person intended to lie against the Prophet ﷺ, he knows that what he's saying is false. He's sure about it, but still he says it. Then that is a huge crime. So for example, when you know that it is a weak hadith, when you know that it is a weak, and it doesn't have a minor weakness, it's completely weak, then should you be narrating, should you be passing on such a hadith? No. Why? Because this is deliberate lying against the Prophet ﷺ. You know, when is that a person does not know if the hadith is authentic or not? He read somewhere, this is in the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, somebody quoted it as a hadith, the reference is given of a book, and you narrate it, you pass it on, you know that this is a hadith that has been recorded in this book, and that's all you know about it. You don't know if it's actually completely weak. So, are you going to be held accountable? That you deliberately lied against the Prophet ﷺ? No, because you did not do this out of deliberation. This was not a deliberate sin. But we should be careful when it comes to the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ. We should learn from this. That just because we have heard of a hadith, just because we have read a hadith somewhere and only hadith is mentioned, we should go on narrating, passing on? No. We should be careful. Look at the proof, the evidence. What evidence has been given? Is it a trustworthy book? Are you familiar with that book? So for example, if you read somewhere, this is in Bukhari, this is in Muslim. This has been taken from, for example, Riyadh Salihin. Then you know that inshallah it is authentic. Then you quote it, you pass it on. But if you're not sure, do a little bit of research. حدثنا مكي بن إبراهيم قال حدثنا يزيد بن أبي عبيد عن سلمة قال هيسات سمعت النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم يقول I heard the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم saying that من يقول whoever says علي against me ما that which لم أقول I did not say whoever says against me what I did not say he says that I said something whereas I did not say it فليتبوأ مقعده من النار then he should take his seat his residence in the hellfire. Next hadith. حدثنا موسى. موسى narrated to us. قال حدثنا أبو عوانة عن أبي حصين عن أبي صالح عن أبي هريرة. أبو هريرة رضي الله عنه he narrated عن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم قال that the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم said تسموا you all give name بسمي with my name meaning name your people your children with my name. What was the name? Muhammad. So give your children my name. وَلَا تَكْتَنُوا But do not give kunya. بِكُنْيَةِ Of my kunya. So do not give my kunya to other people. Give my name to other people. Name people after me. But don't give them kunya after my kunya. What was the kunya of the Prophet ﷺ? Abu Qasim. So don't call other people Abu Qasim. Because who was Abu Qasim? The Prophet ﷺ. And whoever saw me in the sleep, in the dream, فقد then in fact رآني, he indeed saw me. Whoever sees the Prophet ﷺ in his dream, then in fact who is he seeing? The Prophet ﷺ. Because فَإِنَّ الشَّيْطَانَ Because indeed shaitan لا يتمثل He cannot take form في صورتي in my surah, in my shape. Meaning shaitan cannot appear in my form. So if a person sees the Prophet ﷺ in his dream, then it is who? It is indeed him. Shaitan cannot come in his form. But remember that it has to be 
I mean, what a person sees should meet the description of the Prophet If a person sees a very old man with a white beard, that was not the Prophet Because when did the Prophet die? In his early 60s. His hair was not white. His hair was not white. So this is why what a person sees in his dream should meet the description of the Prophet وَمَنْ كَذَبَ عَلَيَّ مُتَعَمِّدًا And whoever lies against me deliberately فَلْيَتَبَوَّأْ مَقْعَدَهُ مِنَ النَّارِ Then he should take his residence in the hellfire. What do we see in this hadith? First of all, the Prophet ﷺ said that give people my name. This amr is of ibaha. It is of permission. It doesn't mean that every boy has to be named Muhammad. Okay? Because people go on saying, you know, Muhammad whatever, Muhammad this, Muhammad this. Every boy has to have the name Muhammad, this is what people think. This is not Amr, this is permission. The Prophet ﷺ allowed people to give this name. Because obviously, if someone loves the Prophet ﷺ, he will definitely love his name. And when he will love his name, he will love to give that name to his children as well. And we learn from other hadith that the most beloved names to Allah are which ones? Abdullah and Abdul Rahman. So over here, this is just of permission that you may give my name. You may name after me. Were there people who were given the name of the Prophet ﷺ even in his life? Can you think of some companion? The son of Ali radiallahu anhu. Hassan Hussein. His son? So do some research. Open up a book of uh, the companions of the Prophet ﷺ and start going through their names. So he said that give my name, but do not give my kunya. Do not give my kunya. Why not? Because... If a person is given the name of the Prophet ﷺ and the kunya of the Prophet ﷺ, then what will people think? That it is the Prophet ﷺ. The person says, Muhammad, Abu Qasim, was going there. A person would think, especially in the life of the Prophet ﷺ, what would they think? That it was indeed Muhammad ﷺ, whereas it was not him. So he forbade people from joining the two in one person, the name as well as the kunya. Other scholars have said that it wasn't just that he forbade people from joining the two, but even the kunya. Nobody could give this kunya to any person. Meaning even if a person's son was Qasim, he would not be called Abu Qasim. He should be called by the name of some other child or some other kunya should be given to him. Why? Because if a person, for example, says, Abu Qasim, come here, and the Prophet ﷺ is also there, wouldn't that create confusion? Yes. And if people began narrating or saying things about the other Abu Qasim, then what will people think? That it is about the Prophet ﷺ. So it would lead to lying against the Prophet ﷺ unintentionally. You understand? There would be confusion amongst the people. So this is why he forbade that his name and kunya not be joined or that his kunya not be given at all to any person. But the scholars do allow that after the death of the Prophet ﷺ, after his death, this is permissible. What is permissible? Giving the kunya of the Prophet ﷺ to a person. Why? Because then there is no confusion. You understand? There is no confusion. It's clear that this Abu Qasim is somebody else, or this Muhammad Abu Qasim is somebody else. It's not the Prophet ﷺ. So they say that this prohibition was when? Only in his life. This prohibition was only in his life. But after that, it is permissible to do this. The next thing that he said was, وَمَنْ رَآنِي فِي الْمَنَامِ فَقَدْ رَآنِي فَإِنَّ الشَّيْطَانَ لَا يَتَمَثَّلُ فِي صُورَتِي So if a person sees him, that the Prophet ﷺ is saying something to him, 
advising or whatever, then it is indeed him. So he should be happy about that. He should not think that it was shaitan. No, it was the Prophet ﷺ. وَمَنْ كَذَبَ عَلَيَّ مُتَعَمِّدًا فَلْيَتَبَوَّأْ مَقْعَدَهُ مِنَ النَّارِ Whoever lies against me deliberately, then he should make his abode where? In the hellfire. Because this is a huge crime. This is corrupting the religion. If you think about it, in the previous religions, Judaism, Christianity, what led to their corruption? How did they become corrupt? When there were fabrications, inventions in the religion. So eventually what became of the religion did not resemble how the religion was at all. They were two completely different things. So when it comes to the matters of the deen, we are not allowed to invent things by ourselves. We are supposed to follow, obey. This is why Allah says that stay behind, follow. Do not try to come ahead of Allah and His Messenger. لا تقدموا But rather, stay behind because we are to follow and not cross the limits. Anything that you'd like to add? That if a person fabricates a dream, I saw the Prophet ﷺ in my dream and he said this to me, he advised this to me and he did not. This is also lying. This is also a major lie. A big crime. And many times people will say that I saw the Prophet ﷺ in my dream and he told me not to do this and this. And this is something that is against the deen. You understand? Like they will say, like I remember this one person came to my father and he said that I saw in my dream that I was told don't pray. So I'm not going to. Because I was told in my dream. So first of all, you have to see, does the description actually meet the Prophet ﷺ? And secondly, don't make it up. Because if you're making it up, this is again lying against the Prophet ﷺ. If in your dream, you did not actually see him, but you know, you, you know that he was there, then yes, this is seeing the Prophet ﷺ in the dream. You didn't actually see the image, but you know that he's present in your dream. You know, you get that feeling, isn't it? Lying against other people. How is this? These days, if a person invents something themselves and they ascribe it to other people, is this in something okay, something acceptable? No. It's not acceptable at all. You know, many times people will take others to court. This can lead to many ill feelings amongst people. If a person says about to the other that, I think so-and-so said such about you, or I think she was talking about you, and you're only thinking, you're not sure, then this can lead to fitna. So imagine if it can ruin relationships, then will it not corrupt the deen? Especially lying against Allah and His Messenger? Do only righteous people see the Prophet ﷺ? What do you mean? That if a person sees the Prophet ﷺ in his dream, that he, then he has become very righteous? Huh? We just seen this hadith that, وَمَنْ رَآنِي Whoever saw me. It doesn't mean that if a person saw him, then he is definitely a righteous person. Or he's become righteous. وَمَنْ رَآنِي or that you're a great person or there is something very you know, special about you. I mean, you should be hopeful, inshallah. Expect good from Allah, but don't start imagining things about yourself. That previously, there's so much encouragement on conveying, passing on, whatever you have seen, whatever you have heard, but know the limits as well. Don't go on inventing things just to scare other people, just to encourage them to do good things, because this is what people do. To encourage others to do good, they fabricate things in their religion. Which is why we see that there are books on fada'ilul a'mal, on the virtues of certain good deeds. And it's all false. There's all the ahadith that are quoted in such places are mainly not authentic. And they say that it's okay to do this. Why? Because you're encouraging other people to do good. But you're lying against the Prophet Similarly, people lie 
for him, not against him. This is what they said. But even for him is a huge crime. See, now that Alhamdulillah you learned about Ulumul Hadith, you know that there are levels of authenticity, levels of weakness as well. So when something is at the point of being mawdur, it's fabricated, then there's no question about it. You're not going to pass it on as a statement of the Prophet ﷺ. But if you read that statement and it's a good statement, like it's meaningful, then you can say that, you know, somebody said such and such. But you can't say that if you do this action, then there's this much reward of it. Because then you're fixing something in the deen. But if it's a good statement, uh, you can quote it as, you know, a good quote, but not as a statement of the Prophet ﷺ. Because it's quite possible that it was narrated, you know, by somebody, it was their own statement, and somebody passed it on as a hadith. So we have to be careful with that. But we don't all necessarily know, like, we don't yeah. don't know if it's actually authentic or not. And yeah. But many people in common everyday language will say, oh, don't you know there's a hadith about this, or I think there's a hadith about this. So what is the ruling pertaining to us when we sometimes say that, or should we not say anything at all? Yes, when you know that it is fabricated, then don't say it. And if you see other people saying it, then also let them know. Because some fabricated ahadith are so common, so common that people don't even think or know that they're fabricated. So once we know that it's wrong, it's not what the Prophet ﷺ said, that we should put a stop to it. If you don't know, then you're not held accountable. Because it's not muta'amidan. You understand? And insisted upon it that you should convey, those people who hear the hadith should convey, and we are supposed to do the same. So if we know the hadith and we are so much in love with Prophet ﷺ, it's an honor to convey his words in a proper way. Instead of trying to fabricate a hadith or, or saying something that we heard or, or we think we heard. Very true. So. We're narrating authentic is a great virtue. Narrating fabricated is a great crime. Lying against somebody, it's also there two things. Like one, you're lying, that's already a crime. And second, the honor of the person is also sacred and you're violating that. So that's why Allah was Ghadban, as you said in that hadith. Yes. There are two crimes. Yes. And it's corrupting the religion as well. Many that scholars allow that. That for fadailul a'mal, weak ahadith may be used, but if you know that it's fabricated, it's something that's not of the religion, then it doesn't seem right. And when there's so many other authentic ahadith which tell us about the virtues of other good deeds, then should we not focus on them? Of course we should. Surah Al-Qadr. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has mentioned its importance in a couple of places in Quran. Then there's no room for us to try and convey through the weak sources. It's in the Quran that's already important enough. Because remember that anything that is of khair, that is of our benefit, that is important for us, Allah conveyed it. And the Messenger ﷺ conveyed it. Allah al-Ballakht. So when He conveyed it, then we don't need to invent things. And we don't need to pass on things that He did not say or do. It doesn't take much of an effort to just find out if the hadith is authentic or not. So we shouldn't like go on and like continue in this ignorance. I don't know, maybe it's weak, maybe it's not, and stuff yes. like that. And also be careful when you say that a hadith is weak. If you're not sure about its weakness, don't go on saying that it's weak. So for example, if somebody comes and asks you, you know, I heard that this is mentioned in the hadith, that if you do such and such, this is, this is the reward, and you've never heard about it, and it's also, it also sounds strange, then what should you do? Say that I have never heard about it, I'm not sure, however, I do know that in an authentic hadith, this is what we learn. Okay? So give them what you know. Tell them what you know. What you're not sure of, don't say, this is false. Because what if it is? And you don't know, you haven't done your research. Because there may be some things which, you know, for example, we have not learned or we find very strange and 
you know, we're not 100% comfortable with, so we go on rejecting that, denying that? No. So where we're not allowed to fabricate, invent things, we're not allowed to even reject. What I'm saying is that if it's not something that fixes, you know, reward or punishment for an action or tells you something about aqidah or something about ghaib, then don't narrate it at all. Motivational quotes? Yeah. That's okay? Even yeah, if it's but from... don't say this is a statement of the Prophet No, of course, but like you would say that um, so-and-so person said it, but they're known as someone that's not, their aqidah is not correct. And then can you say, it's a good quote, but do you think that we should avoid passing it on, do you think, or should we just refrain from... It really depends on what it is, what, what it says. Like, for example, technology, even if you have to go to China. If you're encouraging somebody to go and learn, to continue learning, you can say that, you know, it is said. But don't say that the Prophet ﷺ said this. Don't say this is a part of Islam. Because if you think about it, it is motivation. Learn knowledge even if you have to go to China. Meaning, don't don't restrain, don't limit yourself to seeking in. So if you say just as, you know, it is said, that's different. Are we allowed to paraphrase a hadith? Yeah, and you say that this is the gist of the hadith. Because, you know, we learned that, for example, this hadith is mutawatir uh, in ma'na and also in lafz, in wording and also in meaning. So sometimes the companions, they conveyed the meaning of what they learned, of what they understood, and sometimes the exact words as well. I want you to start reading these hadith to one another. Practice your Arabic reading, your hadith reading. I want to hear hadith, not other words. You can say it as well. Say the chain as well. Practice it. Just one thing before we conclude. Uh, the meaning of the word ama. Ama is, it gives a meaning of verily, truly. It intensifies the meaning. It gives a meaning of inna. So indeed, verily. So if you look at the context as well, ala, ama, innani. So indeed, okay, verily. It's for the purpose of emphasis. So this is just like, Laqad, surely, qad, in fact. Okay? Double tawkid. Okay, we will conclude over here, inshallah. Subhanakallahum wa bihamdika nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.